Good day, good folks. You are listening to Talk That Keeps You Woke. And with your awakening, we hope that you will take in the information and knowledge we provide. So make sure you like and subscribe while you hop on this ride as we inform, persuade, entertain, and engage in discussion. Welcome to Pot Liquor Podcast, which is knowledge to feed your soul. I make up one half of Pot Liquor. I go by Dr. A, the inquisitive one. A great debater, Mr. Slow Talker, a rhetorician, and an all-around nice guy, and a member of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. The other half of Potlicker is my homie, my dear friend for more than 30 years, Ken Parker Jackson Esquire, the legal one, Mrs. Creativity, never obnoxious, the gifted one, a terrific lady, and a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. Welcome back. Welcome back. Where I am, it's morning, but I'll say good afternoon to my partner and what's been going on? What's happened over the past week? Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to everyone. Hello, Dr. A. As you can hear from my voice, I'm getting over a really bad cold. Um, Other than that, I had a good week and my Memorial Day weekend was very relaxing. I decided to stay home and keep my germs to myself. And in honor of Memorial Day weekend, I watched Top Gun Maverick, which was very entertaining. And how about yourself? Uh, I didn't do much. Um, I watched the Boston Celtics and Miami Heat uh, playoff series, which was entertaining until last night. Uh, uh, but other than that, everything went well. Um, I feel good. And let's kick off this show with our wow. Okay, our wow of the week, which stands for words of wisdom, comes from the great writer himself, James Baldwin. To be a Negro in this country and to be relatively conscious is to be in a rage all the time. Given the context when he wrote this, it's very apropos. Um, But I would say today it can be too. Um, To be an African-American in this country and to be um, alert to what's going on in our community, surrounding our community with systemic racism and things of such is uh, to be in a rage uh, quite a bit. What say you, partner? I agree wholeheartedly with that. And, you know, it's sad that James Baldwin said this in 1961. And as you pointed out, it's very sad, but it's, it's still very much true today. I mean, if you're a black in America, you have to deal with the constant stress and anxiety of just bracing yourself to deal with the racism that you pointed out that we have to deal with. And it's no wonder that about 54% of black people in America suffer from high blood pressure. And I think a lot of it has to do with what we have to contend with on a daily basis in this country. Uh, That is well said. That is well said. 
Let us move on. All right. Before we get into what's going on, um, our first plug is the product. So this is a fashion line called Murano. I have designs here. Here we have a shirt here. We have a black one. I don't know if you can see the patterns, those of you who are viewing this. Those of you who are listening, I am holding up uh, three dress shirts uh, that I often wear to work. And they have like a checker pattern. I like that. One is a checker, one is like a diamond, and the other one is another kind of like uh, striped, light it, blue one. It looks like seersucker almost, like a seersucker pattern. Yeah, the light blue one does. looks like yeah. a seersucker. Yeah. So, I love yeah. those colors, blue and gray. I love those. Yeah. Classic. So, Murano, Murano is... Where do you buy those? Um, I get them from Dillard's. That's where I pick them up. Nice. And let us move on. All right. So into in the news, we had a serious situation that was going on with Ja Morant. He uh, posted some uh, cryptic messages on social media. And so the Memphis police went by his residence to do a welfare check. Um, in, his, in his post, he said, love you, pops. Love you, mom. I think love you, baby girl, to his daughter. And then with his back facing and him talking to reporters, he put bye. So, and then he cut off his social media. So that alarmed a lot of people. And there, were, there was a welfare check and folks went out to his house, but he said he was good and that he was just getting off of social media. What's your take? Well, um, first of all, I'm very happy to hear that he's fine after the cops went to check on him. Um, at his home in Tennessee. Um, and it's good to to see that people actually really care about him. You know, his fans and people that follow him on social media were the ones that alerted authorities that he may need to be checked on. And from from what you read that he wrote on his social media, that could be interpreted to mean that he's ready to check out, you know, and that's pretty scary. So I can understand why people were alarmed. But again, I'm happy to hear that he was just saying he's taking a break from social media. You know, and I, um, especially after everything that he's been going through with the, you know, brandishing the gun and being suspended and all of that, I, I'm really pulling for him pulling for him, you know, especially as a young person in his 20s. I can remember being in my 20s and I can't imagine having to live out loud in front of everybody on social media as a person of his notoriety and his stature um, to have to, you know, 
basically grow up um, in front of everybody because your brain is not even fully developed until you're 26. He's 23 years old. So he's doing the same kind of stupid things that we all did in our 20s, but everybody gets to see it and comment on it. And I, I would imagine that that's a lot of stress and a lot of anxiety that he would have to deal with, with being concerned about what people are saying about him. So I really do wish him well, and I hope he gets the help that he needs to come back stronger than ever. And because he's super talented. So I hope that he gets to continue to do the thing that he's exceptional at. Well, um, not to critique him, but I think that could have been done via telephone. Um, I don't think you have to let the entire country or if you're his fan base definitely is an international fan base. Mm -hmm. You know, when things are private for your family, then you can say, hey, and I, you can do it the way you want. So all the folks like, well, he can do what the F he wants to do. If they're going to say that, I understand that. Um, I'm just saying in a situation like that, that's cryptic. And maybe he didn't understand um, what he was doing when he did that. But that it could be interpreted another yeah, way. It can be yeah. interpreted that way. You're going through something um, and you're like, you're trying to clean yourself up, which I applaud. Like, um, maybe social media is not good for him right now, but you can, your mother, father is just a telephone call away. You know, hey, dad, I'm, I'm, I'm going to shut down the social media. Hey, mom, hey, sis, you know, and then you could just, you know, I don't know if, if his daughter comprehends social media or not, but I think that would be, that would have been a better way, a more private way to do it. You know, um, you might want to tell your fans like, hey, I'm just going to jump off social media for a while. Um, but as we discussed that. before, as we discussed before, this is how young people do it today, though. This is their life. They live their lives on social media. This is why he got caught on video brandishing a gun. This is what they do, because that was a question I asked. Why do you keep recording this? This is how they how they interact with each other. This is, you know, how they communicate. And so it makes sense that he would have said, um, you know, told his fans what he's planning to do next via social media. Yeah. Tell your fans on his thing. He was just talking to his mom and dad and his daughter. And you want to let the world know that you're talking to your mother, father. I'm just saying that one thing I want to say, I'm around kids all the time because um, I teach at the collegiate level. And so not all kids are doing what he's doing. They call it doing the most. Like he's doing too much or she's doing too much. Mm -hmm. um, I don't want to say Moran is doing too much. I think any posting of the guns yeah you're doing too much but i think some things you just keep private you know um that you do and we, kids still do things in private 
you know, when they meet up with their significant others, I'm sure they're not telling any everybody, well, oh, I'm about to go put it down with my significant others. Things should be private. What he had to say to his mother and father could have just been said over a telephone call. Say, you know, I, you know, just a discussion. I, I don't think I need to be on this right now. Um, but you're allowed to do what you want to do. And they want to say people are always judging. Well, this is a podcast. We're going to judge a little bit. <laughs> um, well, let me let me let me say what he issued an apology after he was suspended indefinitely. And in his apology, he said, I know I've disappointed a lot of people who have supported me. This is a journey and I recognize there is more work to do. My words may not mean much right now, but I take full accountability for my actions. I'm committed to continuing to work on myself. So I hope that he really means what he said here in this apology. And I hope he continues to work on himself and he takes full accountability and he just gets better and learns from this. That's what I'm hoping for him. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with that. I will agree with that. And let us move on. Okay. So the next situation, that was alarming to me. So Target has decided to remove its merchandise from the stores due to threats made to its employees. And I should say this is LBGTQ plus merchandise that they're moving from the stores and moving to the back of the stores because their workers have been threatened and there have been some violent attacks. Hmm. Uh, what do you have to say about this? topic well first of all i like the visual that you've um displayed here um it's the it's a picture of a t-shirt and the t-shirt says trans people will always exist and probably always have existed um we just didn't know but i think that that shirt is very true and I think this is unfortunate that employee safety is at risk because of, simply put, because of hate. Um, but this is what inclusivity is about. This is what inclusivity means. Everyone should be affirmed. And because trans people will always exist, shouldn't they be acknowledged? Shouldn't their existence be affirmed? And it's just appalling that people would be have so much hate that they would attack the employees at Target as if they had anything to do with this merchandise being on display and being for sale in a store. Like, that's ridiculous. Who are these people that would attack people because of this? This is just absolutely appalling to me. And so... I hope that I hope that th th this these items can still be displayed and be for sale for people who want to purchase them and that they're not discouraged from doing so by these I, I hope few people who have taken this course of action to deal with this issue and it's kind of it's you know the, it reminds me of the same backlash that Bud Light had when they decided to um, allow Dylan Mulvaney, a transgender 
spokesperson to um to advertise on behalf of Bud Light. And people started, you know, shooting up their Bud Light beer cans and and they well, lost a lot of money because yeah, of- lost a lot of money because of this. What I, I I just don't get it because if this is not something that you're interested in or you're offended by it for whatever reason, can't you just keep walking? Can't you like not look at it? I mean, because just because you're not interested in it does not mean that other people might not be interested in it as well. So. I am going to make an attempt to try to explain what I feel is going on. Okay. But I want to start by saying there's no justification for violence. Um, there's no justification for um, incendiary languages um, uh, to people who identify as trans. But for those who don't know and don't understand what is going on, there are some people who feel like an agenda is being pushed, quote unquote. They feel like, why are we pushing transgender people? Why can't they exist like we do? Um, but light is not making a commercial to affirm cisgender men and women. Um, But Light is not making commercials that say, um, and I'm not saying Bud Light, like this is the shirt we see in Target, like uh, cisgender people will always exist. And so some people feel like they're pushing this on to the public. Now, the reason why I feel like this is being promoted is because the violence against trans people are happening. And I think they're trying to bring attention to that. Like we are human just like you, right? So there's no need. And we want some the same things you want. See, everybody just boils this down to a sexual thing because that's what they're up said about they're like you're pushing this on to our kids so when you push this on to our kids this is what they're going to to do so they feel they think it's a uh promotional or marketing thing that's making their kids um be faced with like trying out or uh which they perceive like you're making my kid, giving my kid the option to be trans. Um, right. And they were particular, particularly offended by the tuck friendly swimsuits, apparently. Well, yeah. Yeah. Those they are. To say, they tried to say it was made for kids too. But which that's not was, true. Which was not true. Right. So you have a lot of uh, false statements coming out. Um, that's causing other people who don't do research or read to act up and act in in violence. Um, people feel like this needs to stop, you know. Um, and it's easier for you to say, it's easier for folks who don't feel, who don't identify as trans, right? Mm-hmm 
to accept other people who don't identify as cis, you know? Um, and when I say that, it's just like straight male, straight female. Um, so when I say cisgender female, uh, cisgender male, um, and so they get all in an uproar. It's, it's, you know, my, my, my black friends will say, um, you can't hide being black, you know? Some of us, most of us couldn't, but there was some, there was a such thing as passing, you know, um, doing Jim Crow. And there are some people that chose to, to pass. They were light enough where folks thought they were white people and they went along with it to get those benefits and as a survival tactic, you know. Um, in this situation, They'll say, well, people can survive, especially transgender men and women, because you can dress like a man or a woman and nobody will know. Um, but if that's not what you identify with, then you're being restricted of force in the area where you don't feel comfortable because that's not who you feel like you truly are. And so their identities, their natural identities for themselves are being, you know, threatened. I, uh, okay. <laughs> I, I guess I don't, I don't get that, but okay. Um, just because of some t-shirts and some Merchandise that I, 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 I don't think it's, it. I don't think it's the T-shirts and merchandise. I think is they feel like there's a whole agenda with. But with, well, I, but okay, but see, the default in America is whiteness. So everywhere we look, whiteness is affirmed. So what is the agenda with that? So is that an agenda as well? When people are affirmed, like I don't <laughs> like well, Bud Light. The colors I'm, of Bud Light are red, white, and blue to it's, symbolize America, which we know the default in America is whiteness. I so, don't. I don't know I don't, I don't. any African Americans that have been violent toward trans people, but I know black folks who feel. That, that are very vocal about an agenda being pushed for transgender people because they feel like transgender people, queer people, the LBGT community is um, being paid more attention to than the plight of African-Americans. So but, I mean, haven't you seen the African-American display in Target as well? They do, they have... Yeah, but this is not breaking it down just to target. I don't want to simplify it when I have this. But that's what we're, yeah. Okay. yeah, but what this, yeah, we are talking about what's going on in target, but I'm just saying it's just not about, it's about trans people is really not about target. Okay. But in target, they, they started selling this merchandise at the beginning of May ahead of pride month, which is in June. You know, much like they start selling the African-American 
merchandise uh, ahead of Juneteenth and ahead of Black History Month and things of that nature. So I just, I don't, I, I, I guess it's been I don't, pushed back toward that too, but more about more so by Black people. Like, who do you have in the store putting these certain things up? You know. Like, <laughs> so when you say pushing an agenda, that's the part I don't understand. Like, so are you saying that that when you say pushing an agenda, do you mean that people feel with this merchandise being sold in Target, it normalizes um, yes. transgender people, and yeah. therefore, and therefore what? Like, because as the T-shirt says, they're always going to exist, and we all have to live together peaceably on on this planet it's and just like with the, country, the, so. the, the bill with the bathroom mm -hmm. like there were a lot of people who complained about men going into women's bathrooms because they identify well put it this way transgender women that people Which, still thought yeah. were men right people who you, you and they felt like that was a danger and they didn't want that to happen. Yeah, I understand people felt like that, but I always thought it was ridiculous because I just use whatever bathroom is, doesn't have a long line. I don't care. If it's a men's, I go in the men's bathroom. So that's just me. But wait, wait, you went into a men's bathroom? You're talking about yes. you wait, wait, wait. You talking about the men's bathroom with one toilet. I'm talking about I don't care if it has one toilet or 10 toilets. If I have to use the bathroom and the women's bathroom is around the corner, I'm going to the men's bathroom. I've done it on several occasions. And well, that's it privilege, doesn't matter. Though. That's privilege, though. How is that privilege? Because if I went into a woman's bathroom, I my ass would get locked up. I wouldn't stop that you. No, you wouldn't. That's it's, you. Yeah. It depends on what you're doing. If you're going in there to use the bathroom, what what's the problem? You're not going it's, in there to harass anybody. Okay, Kim. Like, I'm serious. I want, you, I, want you to really, I want you to really think about that and comprehend. Okay. Would you tell your son to go into a woman's bathroom if it says woman and men? And I have taken women? my son into the woman's bathroom. This now, is I ain't talking about when he a little kid. You know? Okay, but yes, if we were out at a concert and, the, and he had to really go, rather than deal with having to clean up a mess, Yes, I would tell him to go into the women's bathroom and go into a stall and use the bathroom because you're it's private inside the stall. Obviously, they're not going to have urinals in the women's bathroom. And the same with me. If if I have to use the men's bathroom, I will walk past the urinals and go into the stall and use the bathroom. It's a private room. Like, and then I come out, wash my hands, and get out. Like, I'm not harassing anyone or looking at anyone i'm just trying to use the restroom that's it and so to me that was it's just getting out of control with this oh this bathroom is for this person and this it's bathroom been like that, that though when we grew up in schools it's been like that this boys and girls restroom this is a waste of legislation a waste it's just a waste that's why i, mean, I, I really appreciate we totally we totally disagree on what okay. you just said like I can see when there's now I'm going to tell you, I do this when there's a one stall, like a one toilet bathroom, like, you know, that's why Starbucks took the men and women off because you can use either one. But there's anybody who use that restroom, they lock the door. It's only one person in there using the restroom because there's one toilet. Now, I mean, when, hold on. Let me finish. If I go 
to a uh, pizza place or any place and there is one toilet in each restroom and the men's is occupied, right? I will go into the woman's because I can lock the door and it's only me inside. There's no other woman coming out the side. Now, if they see my big black ass at the sink inside an all-women's bathroom where there's like four stalls or eight stalls there. Yeah, there's going to be a problem. People are going to call security. Security will call the cops, and I will get dealt with. So I don't recommend that to okay. anybody. Like, if there's if there's six stalls in the men's bathroom, guess what? I'm, you know, I'm just going to wait. Like we do at baseball games, basketball games in the arena. I'm going to be in line. And I know I, I'm a frequent urinator. Trust and it's me not it's that. not as if it's not like a locker room, as if people are in public bathrooms changing clothes or anything like that. Most people handle their business in a private stall and then they come out in the in the common area to wash their hands. It's not that serious. Like, you yeah, know, there's like, men and women, women who like, live in homes together who all, everybody right. uses the same but, bathroom. Okay, but that's so, different. I, you and, know that. They're not strangers well, to Well, yeah, but then, that. okay, so how do you well, deal women, with, how do you, you deal, well, but how do you deal with if uh, there are lesbian women that, since people are concerned about the whole sexuality thing, and you're concerned that somebody's looking at you in a sexual manner, in an inappropriate manner, what about lesbian women that are using the women's restroom? You're not concerned about them maybe trying to come on to you or making you feel uncomfortable or whatever? No, that's ridiculous because we're they're all women, right? So but, right. Why, why would it make a difference with men and women? A man is not coming into a public restroom to harass a woman necessarily you're, or vice you're, versa. You're, you're, you're trying to use the bathroom. I'm just saying. You, you don't and know that. people don't and even so use women public use, restrooms. Women use they the restroom for several they get old. If, if, a woman just, wants, if a woman is sweating, right, and she wants to wipe under her shirt or anything like that, she's doing that in front of a bunch of other women that have the same physical parts. So me being in there will disturb that peace. Well, but, then she can do it inside the stall if she's that concerned about anybody seeing her. But I'm just saying, so it just gets no out of control. It's, it's like... You're basically saying it ain't no need for men and women restrooms anymore. Uh, the point that I'm trying to make is that I think it is a waste of time to be dealing with whether transgender people can use one restroom or the other. I don't care. It's not that serious. There have been there have been reports of men who are not transgender who have gone into women's rest restrooms under the guise of being a transgender uh woman and have raped girls. That's uh, a problem. That's an issue. And that issue is going to be solved by trying to, f to f keep transgender people from using a women's right. I mean, if somebody's going to rape someone, what, they're what, probably what, going to do it regardless to, of the restrictions on bathrooms. Do you think there's a better way it's to crazy. solve it? Do you think there's a better way to solve it? To solve what? The, to solve people raping people? No, the bat restroom issue. I don't find a restroom issue. That's what I'm saying. Like, I don't 
People are okay. Making let me say something. If you no don't, problem. this is what I'm gonna say to you. If you don't find it a restroom issue, do you think that argument that there's could be a, a restroom issue, restroom issue, plausible? Are you saying you don't okay, understand this is what why I, anybody would have that argument? <laughs> I'm just saying on the list of problems that we have to deal with in our society that need to be resolved, this is a non-issue to me in, re in relation to the other actual issues. I mean, I, I'm today years old and I have never encountered an issue with a transgender person. First of all, I don't even know how I would necessarily know that the person is transgender, but I've never had an issue of being in a public restroom and having a, a transgender person come in and me feel uncomfortable or unsafe about it. I, nor do I know anyone else who's had that issue. So I am confused about all of these solutions to these imaginary well, problems. If you, if you don't know, I know several. Okay. And, well, I, know, and I know transgender people too. And I communicate with transgender people, but you turned it to a different discussion. You okay, turned. Okay, so it what's the to, solution? You, I said this: the, the the way you the restrooms you make. You can if you if your situation is just make it a co-ed co-ed restroom with a, a, a co-ed restroom, then you have a choice to go into these bathrooms or not if they're co-eds, or you can have the door like Target has mainly private doors. Those uh, uh, well, they have men, women, and they have like what they call a family room, family restrooms. So you're being, I'm so confused. So should, there should be a transgender bathroom? No, it can be a family restroom that where everybody's allowed into that restroom, but it the, the, there might be only one stall inside of it. I just think that it's absolutely ridiculous because if a transgender person identifies as being a woman, why shouldn't they be able to go into the women's bathroom? If a transgender man identifies as a man, why shouldn't they be able to go into the men's bathroom? And I ask that as a woman who will go in whichever bathroom is available. I do not care. You're not seen and as I a have threat. You're, you're not seen as a threat to men. So you now you're saying threat? that transgender people are seen as threats. Yes. You see how that sounds crazy? It doesn't me? matter if it That's sounds crazy, crazy that you would that call way. a person a threat because of who they are. You see where that's going? Like no, this, I, I, we, I, I, as I, black I, people, especially, yeah. we should be able to I, to to identify with that being a problem. Don't aren't you as aren't as, you tired of being a threat listen, to people listen, because listen, of your skin color? Listen, listen to it's me. To me, I understand the safety issue. I understand the sexual predators. I do. I'm gonna sit up here and I'm going to say that. Because like I said, men who have problem, you know, who are rapists and pedophiles can use that as a guy that messes up transgender women. That makes it bad for transgender women because the, the transgender women really identify as women, but I'm saying some men can, that are not transgender women 
can go under the guise that they are and go into a restroom. And you being a woman walking into a man's restroom, which to me is crazy, but to walk into a man's restroom and use the stall, you don't pose a threat or you're not viewed as a threat. They will look at you like, what is she doing in here? Whereas a man going into a woman's restroom, of course you don't have a problem. Because you're not viewed as a threat. Okay, I get that, but I think it's a. I think you, you got to be careful. You have to be careful calling transgender people a threat. That's. I'm not, not calling transgender good. people cool. a threat. I'm not calling transgender people a threat. So clear that up for me. I never said that. I said there are men that will go in under the guise that they're transgender and they're not, and they can rape a young woman. That's what I'm saying to you because they're in the restroom in the stall. Dr. A, men have been raping people for years. And I I don't know how many of them have felt the need to dress up as a transgender person in order to do it. You you don't know. If you're going to do it, you you, you don't need to do that. You don't know criminals. You don't. You don't associate with those. There's psychopaths and everything. What I'm saying, it may not happen, but I see that as a possible danger because it has happened. So it is a possibility okay. for people to feel uncomfortable. Okay. The 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 other situation with you using the, the men's restroom, well. that, that's that's a different conversation that you 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 brought up. It's possible that we have Martians in our midst as well. Now you're being facetious. I'm just saying, but what? Don't you you belittling my art? You belittling you're belittling my take on it. I'm not belittling it. What I'm saying, what I'm pointing out is belittling it. What I'm pointing out is it may be possible, but I'm just pointing out the improbability of it. It's just not likely because we, I mean, how many. Give me the statistics on it and maybe I'll reconsider. I'll give you that. I I will give you that. All right. So. And let us move on. We have a special guest with us. We're going to break from what's going on to bring in our special guest. There she is. Hi, Dr. Veronica. How are you, Tim? I apologize for you having to endure our, <laughs> our uh, debate about. <laughs> it gets like that sometimes. Right. Our debate about transgenders. But... Oh, I missed it. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, welcome. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Yes. Welcome aboard. So, uh, um, first, we would like for you to please. Um, just tell our audience about who you are. Give us a little bit about your background and where you're from and just, you know, who you are. Does that mean you want my whole life story or just no. highlights? Or- <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like, well, you are a, you are a doctor. You're trained as an ophthalmologist, correct? I am. So just a little bit about maybe your educational background and what you're doing now, how you've pivoted 
your career as an ophthalmologist into what you are currently doing? Yes. Well, I was an eye surgeon and I had my own practice that I started from patient zero and built up to double digit thousands. And most people would stop their life and career right there and stay right there, except I wasn't doing at that time what I was meant to do. And so I burned out, left that life and moved on to a new life. And here's where I am now. This is why I'm, I'm sitting here on your podcast. Um, today, one of the most exciting things I do, um, which a lot of people are like, she's bizarre. But one of the most, most exciting things that I do is that I'm an intuitive. I'm actually a psychic. Um, and this is how I ended up partially where I am because um, when I had the energy and the wherewithal and everything to actually admit that part of my life. Um, other people started coming to me and say, how do you have the courage to admit that? So let me back up a little bit. Um, I was in my other life, which is where I met one of your friends. We knew that, that life very well. And, you know, I was married, uh, with, to a nice guy. He's still a nice guy. Um, three sons, running my own medical practice and living the life that most people aspire to, houses, cars, diamonds, fur, all the success that you can imagine on a material plane. But I knew I wasn't where I was supposed to be, doing what I was supposed to be, with the person I was supposed to be with. I was just not living the life that I felt I should be living. And I can't say that there was something wrong with that life, right? Because a lot of people say, well, were you cheated on? Were you beat? Was he a jerk? Or what, what was your problem? Well, people told me, you just don't know how to be happy. And that's your problem. And I wasn't happy because I wasn't being fully who I am called to be, right? And so this is not to blame anybody. It's to say that this was all about what I was willing to do and admit, okay? Um, because as I told you upfront, I gave you the punchline about who I am mm -hmm. because that's something that in a lot of circles is not highly respected, especially in a conventional Western medicine circle. Um, you know, I went to Princeton. I got an Ivy League degree. I graduated from medical school with honors. I was a chief resident. I was a surgeon. And that's where people think you are supposed to be in life. But then when you have another gift or talent or a place that you are really meant to be, and it's not those things that everybody aspires to, it's like, well, how do I even admit this? And how do I even say this? Um, and this is how I ended up where I am right now with other people saying to me, I ended up coaching because other people would say to me, well, how did you get the courage to admit that? How did you do that? Can you help me? And that's what lands me here today on your podcast. Well, have you always known that you've had this psychic ability or was there an incident that happened that confirmed to you what you always knew or how, how did it come about? That's a common question. Mm -hmm. um, when you have this as part of you, and I'm going to tell you how much it's part of me in a moment, you don't realize it's anything unusual. You're just walking through your life living that way. And I wasn't in a family where this was the tradition of how people live their life necessarily. Okay. So was I always aware that there was this difference in me 
No, because I just thought this is how everybody is. I got to the point where I realized, no, this is not how everybody is and I better keep my mouth shut. Um, and that came after I realized what was going on and somebody else pointed out to me what was going on with me. Okay. okay. So I would say one of the things that started happening to me is I started realizing that I knew things um, that had no logical answer to why I knew them. And I had nobody to ask about this or talk about it. Now, just think about me. I was in this life and we were going to a traditionally black Baptist church. And if I called myself a prophetess or one of the terms that black people like to use for people like me, I would have been completely accepted, except that's just not who I am. And, you know, I respect people who are like that. It's just not who I particularly was. I realized it when I started to know things about people from the health standpoint that I had no reason to know, okay? And it was pointed out to me by a woman who was a business coach and said, oh my God, you're a medical intuitive. And I'd never heard of that. I never heard of that. But I told her a story where I would know people, somebody would text me and I would know what was the matter with them. And then I would ask them questions and confirm what was going on with them. I knew exactly. Wow. And so I didn't want to talk about it. I was like, I'm a real doctor. <laughs> I don't do things like that. Um, and what ended up happening as I was going along is this, this one woman said, you have a gift that you could help a lot of people with. Um, and now you're thinking, what do you mean? I'm thinking, what do you mean a gift I could help people with? I'm a doctor. What else can I possibly do? Right. Limited thinking. <laughs> and but what continued to happen is as I was made aware of this, I started to meet other people who would point this out to me um, and tell me who I really was. So for instance, I was at a business conference at one point, I sat across the table and there were these two women. One was a scientific hand analyst and I'll explain to you about how I know who I am from that. And the other was a woman who was a just out of the box no hiding, no anything, practicing psychic. And that woman sat down at the table. We're all just it's a bunch of ladies sitting down there talking all in different types of business. And she just leaned over to me and said, you have visions, don't you? You're really good. I can, I can tell you are really good with those visions. I mean, she just completely outed me like that. And because, you know, when you have these gifts where you are able to assess energy, you know, you know each other. <laughs> And right. I was taken back, of course, and shocked. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I didn't know what to say. But it was even, oh my gosh, even more because she told me what had been going on in my world that I hadn't necessarily been verbalizing to anybody. And she said it out loud. The other woman who was sitting across from me does what's called scientific hand analysis, not the same as palm reading. She actually analyzes your hands with the lines and your fingerprints and everything like that, which actually correlates with the grooves in your brain. Um, and when she did this, we had a session and she said to me, you have eight gift markings in your hands. Most people don't have any gift markings. About 10 to 15% of the population has a gift marking and you have eight of them and five of them are intuitive. So if you are not doing something with that, you are not on your master path in life. 
And at that point in time, she was absolutely right about that because I didn't even want to admit that this was part of who I am and who I was or anything like that. But I knew she was absolutely right. Now, in addition, you say, well, you're a doctor. She says, it is true. One of your gift markings is a medical stigmata. You have that in there, but that's one. Um, and your, your dominant ones are about your um, gifts and abilities as an intuitive. Okay. So now let's fast forward. Now that you have chosen to walk in your purpose, how do you help your clients? How do I help my clients? Do you help them with relationships, with career, all of the above? Yes. And so going through this, I'm, I'm at this point up to, I wrote about this in my different books, but my fourth book is called Get the Respect You Deserve, Seven Secrets to Getting Seen and Heard in Your Job and Relationships. And the reason that I wrote that book is because I realized when I was working with clients using a method that I developed, it's called the respect method, that they were complaining about the same thing, whether it was a career-related issue or in a personal relationships and a lot of times romance. And that was like, I'm not being respected. I'm not being appreciated for who I am. I just feel like no matter what I do, I'm not getting what I want. Now it's not, and I'm working with mostly women who are brilliant and by all measures successful, but they weren't getting exactly what they wanted in life. And they couldn't figure out even how to verbalize this or why it was happening. And I knew why it was happening because this is how my life had gone. And then as people started to come to me, because they realized I had the courage to say that I was intuitive and they wanted to know, well, how do you do it? And how do you have that courage? These themes kept coming up. And so I help my clients through coaching. It's called the respect method. And every letter in that is part of the process. So the first part of the process are is for reflect and take radical responsibility. Now think about when you reflect, you have to look at yourself, take responsibility that no matter where you are, the good and the ugly, you created that. So it gets you out of, you know where you are, but you have to step away from being a victim. It's not somebody else that did anything to you. You created your life. And that's the point of when you reflect and you're able to admit that, the good and the ugly, you really have taken back your power and are ready to go on the journey of self-discovery to figure out how do I get what I want in my life, in my job, in my romance, in my whatever it is. Okay. So the R, what are we spelling? Respect. It's respect. Okay. Yes. So- and then the other steps are E-S-P-E-C-T? They are. So I'm going to, I'm just going to go through them quickly. And I'm going to tell you the one that's more spiritual because it's the one that I think people need to understand because it's about really understanding you. The okay. E is for evaluate your beliefs. So where did the beliefs come from that you have? The S is for surrender to your spirit. We're going to come back to that one. The P is for pause, and that means stop doing stuff that doesn't work and take a break. Rest 
and stop doing stuff that doesn't work. And you know how hard that is because mm -hmm. no, okay. The E is for elevate your energy. So that's when you have to let go of the low vibrations and the low emotions. And it, that's, that's difficult. As I told you in the beginning, we are in the victim mentality and that's how our whole story is told through, across all cultures and humanity. So you have to learn how to let that go. And there's a process for that. The C is commit to your boundaries and values. And you need to know what your values are so that you can really set boundaries and this fluidity. And people say they cross my boundary. Well, you have to be able to verbalize and know what it is so that you can figure out how to hold on to it. And then when somebody steps over it or you, and you allow somebody to step over it, you know what to do to take things back. And the T is for trust and take action. And this is the step where you really learn how to trust you. And think about this. You have not been taught how to trust you. You've been taught to trust your parents. You've been taught to trust institutions. You've been taught to trust government. You've been taught to trust this thing that people call God or something else. Not realizing that the most important trust is your own so you don't even know what that feels like a lot of the times. And so in the trust and take action, I teach people how to assess and read energy so that they know what their intuition feels like so that they can really trust their gut. When people say trust your gut, a lot of times you don't even know how to trust your gut because how do, how do I prove it? How do I make it reliable? So I teach you how to do that based on how you are put together so you can really begin to trust yourself. And when you're listening to whatever you want to call the creator of all is, source, the universe, you know what the signals are for you to be able to trust yourself. Okay. So the respect method sounds like something that could be useful in relationships and career. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's why I wrote the book that particular okay. way. I want to circle back around to the S for surrender to your spirit, mm -hmm. because one of the common complaints or problems that I see people that come to me, they say, I don't really know who I am. How do I know who I am? I don't know, because you think about it, you go through life, you have all these titles, even your name and everything was given to you by somebody else. And they told you what to think and believe about it. But who, what is the essence of you? And that's where I come in and help people understand um, two pieces about them, which are their instincts, because those are natural and they're in your brain and their intuition. And I use human design for this. Now, when we are made into a being, there are the three eyes imprinting, which you have a subconscious mind. And from age zero to seven, everybody's telling you what to think and feel, and you're just observing and you have everything soaking into that subconscious mind. So what's around you is what's going to feel right. Now think about how profound this is, because if it's dysfunctional, dysfunctional is going to feel good to you because it's familiar. So when people say, why do I keep picking the wrong man? 
I want to go back to, well, let me, let's talk about how you grew up in your family history and everything like that. And so this has nothing to do with the logical mind. You can know from a logical intellectual standpoint, which is a completely different part of the brain, that something isn't good, but yet you can't figure out how come you can't tell the difference and how come you just seem always to be pulled towards that. So I explain this to people so they understand from an intellectual standpoint that there was this, this thing that happened to you, this time period where you had no control over. Now we're going to go about how do you get away from that type of thing? So that's the first, imprinting. Mm -hmm. Then mm -hmm. there's instinct. And instinct is how you do in life, how you do, how you take action. So step back to the brain. You have your cognitive brain, that's thinking, IQ, reasoning. You have your effective brain. That is emotion, personality. Everybody knows DISC test because it's commonly used. But then there's this third part of the brain called conative, and it's how you do. And we don't talk about that a whole lot. So there's thinking, there's feeling, and there's doing, and that's your natural instinct. And we're all built different in that respect. So you have to understand the way you're going to do things and, and take action, you were born that way. Okay. Mm -hmm. The beauty of understanding that. Now, that's where I'm a Colby certified consultant. There is one, one assessment for this. It's called Colby Index, where we actually can assess what your natural instincts are. You had a Colby. <laughs> I did one. At the urging of Dr. Veronica. Oh, there she is. I think that's she's right. a fact finder. Wait, I'm going to pull that up just right now because I want to tell you what you are. And I'm going to send you the result. Um, afterwards so that you can actually see this, but you're what's called a fact finder. So that you're sitting here on this um, podcast, digging, 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 digging um, on people and about subjects is what a fact finder does. But that's one type of instinct. You will never have enough data. You want more data and more data. Now think about this. This I don't know what your profession is, but if you're in something that requires lots of research and data and more data points, fabulous, because you'll do excellent at that. But you oh, yeah. have analysis paralysis, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. And you will never have enough information and you'll go in feeling like an imposter because you don't have every piece of information at the end of the earth. That's how fact finders operate. That's their modus operandi. When you say somebody's MO, this is called your MO. This is really what your MO is. Okay. And so, yeah, lawyers, I remember as a doctor and a lot of doctors are fact finders, but I'm not. And I'll explain that in a second. As a doctor, I'd be like, if I go in with a lawyer, they're going to know more about what I do in a one particular area than I ever learned in medical training, because that's what they do. And they're going to look for everything that could possibly go wrong from my background back to kindergarten to show me and the jury why I'm an incompetent. That's what lawyers do. <laughs> okay. Um, if, if, you know, if you're if, now if the lawyer on my side is going to, you know, do something to show exactly why every reason you're saying is wrong. So having fact finder lawyers is absolutely a good thing and a good fit from a professional standpoint. But think about somebody who's a fact finder and they're going into a relationship. They may be hard pressed sometime to make a commitment because they never feel like they keep looking for more information about the person on the other side. They keep looking for more, keep looking for more, keep looking for more. 
And I feel like I'm in touch with my intuition, though. So I think it just depends on the situation. Because I yes. do rely so on my intuition. We're talking about instinct now, which is different than, okay. than your instinct. So instinct, this is your instinct on how you take action. You're going to search, 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 search for more information to either go for what you think it is or go against what you think it is. Okay. Okay. But here's my question. How does knowing that piece of information about me help you? to help me in relationships or in a career? Like how, how would you use that information? Okay, so in a career, what you have to understand is that everybody has this different modus operandi. Mm -hmm. And in order to create high performing teams, you need the spectrum, not just mm -hmm. one kind of person. So I'm what's called a quick start. On a scale from one to 10, I'm a nine. You're an eight in fact finder. I'm a nine in quick start. What does a quick start do? A quick start is the person who, how they do things is by innovation, experimentation, and taking risk. So if I'm ever working with you, you're going to think I'm incredibly reckless. Okay, I see so what you're saying. On the other side, if you need new ideas and new thinking, you're going to think I'm just all that because I always can just vision the new way of doing things. How did she come up with that? Because that's the way I was born and my brain works. So, and then I'm going to say, well, wait a minute, we need more information. We can't just do that. Right? You're say, well, but. So when you build a team, you build a team with all types on it. And you're going to have to realize that for people who are fact finders, they're going to have to put in like a, a like sort of the drop dead. We're after this point, we're not getting more information. We're making a decision. Yeah. On the other side, for somebody like me, it's like, stop generating new ideas. We need to make a decision. Right. Mm -hmm. So putting in the deadline. Now, the other thing about that is me knowing that you're that type and you knowing that I'm that type. And then we have respect and compassion for each other because this is what our natural abilities are. So let's leverage it rather than I'm be like, hey, Kim, damn, she's always coming with another piece of information. You know what I'm saying? So we could be right. each other. That Veronica, she's just so impulsive. I wish she would just come off the roof sometime, right? So instead of us feeling some kind of way about each other, we realize this is the way they were born. The universe put them here this way. Now, how do we maximize our way of doing so that we get the best high-performing team? That's mm -hmm. in a professional environment. Now, in a relationship environment, and I'll, I will tell you that Colby is something that's brought in the corporations to use. And when people say where it has impacted the most, it's not in their job. It's in their relationships. Mm. Those are the people that you're living with. And if you're able to understand what their particular modus operandi is, it can minimize conflict. Because I understand my husband is a... Uh, what's called a follow through. He's high in that and organized. Everything's got to be, you know what I'm saying? Just like so. And I'm, he understands I'm impulsive. And when it comes time to thinking through things or coming up with ideas, he knows I'm going to do that. He's on the other end of that. This is an area where we're apart a lot. So we understand these different things can be conflict. So I don't get mad at him for organizing. He doesn't get mad at me for being impulsive. These are areas where we can do actually comparisons of couples to say, here are where your, your synergies are going to be. Here are areas where you could possibly have conflict. And here's our tools for you to be able to resolve those differences. 
Does that make sense? I don't hear you. Oh, sorry about that. I there muted myself. So I said, now I understand why we have, why my husband and I sometimes have conflicts when I ask him if I should do X or Y, and he says, just pick one, and I want to analyze why I should do X or Y. I mean, <laughs> I want to talk it through and analyze it. That's exactly right. But it gets right. him very frustrated. And so what does this allow in, in jobs and in personal relationships, it allows you to one, have empathy for yourself and understand why you are, but also realize this other person is has, has a different MO and you have empathy, compassion, for just the way they are. And you're able to let them be who they are and you're who you are. And you have tools then for getting past these different types of things. That's one piece. Now that's your instinct. Part of your brain, conative, is what it's called, that third part of the brain. The other part, which I call like the intuition and using that, is what people a lot of times will refer to, this is invisible, the energy, the aura, what is that? And so I use tools like human design to help people put languaging around it and visuals around it. And so what happens with something like human design, which is an energy uh, system, which it's a combination between I Ching, Kabbalah, quantum neutrino physics, the chakra system. And this gives you basically what is your spiritual DNA? What's your spiritual DNA? Um, and this is something that you can't test per se. It's based on your birth date, time, and place. And I always start with the Colby because for people who are fact finders and like a lot of data, you can get a lot of data about that. But then I tell people about this human design and these different types of spiritual DNA measures because whenever I tell people about that, they're like, oh my God, how did you know? How did you know? How did you know? Okay. It's the life path, life journey, life destiny. It's how your energy lands with other people, why some other people will land with you a particular way. And you can even do composite charts with people to see how you get together as a couple. Now, my favorite example of this is to show you the difference between somebody everybody in the world knows. If you, if you don't follow them, you're aware of them. King Charles and his two wives, Diana and Camilla. So when you put them together spiritually, you put King Charles with Diana together, you see that they are what's called a 9-0 couple. They meet each other's energetic needs. But when you look at their energetic bonds, they're difficult because on one side, that electromagnetic bond, they only have one of them working there. And then on the other side, they have what are called compromise channels and dominance channels. And they have a lot of those. They have a lot of compromise in their design. So even though they're energetically meeting other needs, there are difficulties where they're not gonna be bonded together strong enough that somebody can't come in and take over. And this is what happened. So when you put together Charles and Camilla, they meet each other's energetic needs in a different way. They're what's called a 9-0 couple, meaning they're meeting all their centers, but they have 
seven energetic channels that are those sizzle channels that just attract you to somebody. And then when you look at their dominance channels, they're pretty much even where she has four, he has three. So they balance each other out. And when you look at compromise, there's hardly any. So if you look at these two couples from a spiritual standpoint, you absolutely know why Camilla and Charles are going to be inseparable and Diana and Charles are going to fall apart. So these are the type of pieces of information that now, now Kim's head is like exploding. I, yes. Because she's Mr. <laughs> she's like, give me the data, data, data. <laughs> yes, because I'm just trying to understand practically how you would use your gift. So for example, would a couple who is having problems in a marriage come to you for help? Would they come to you in addition to maybe seeking therapy from a counselor, I'm a marriage a counselor? I'm not a, I'm not a therapist. And I recommend that people have therapy. Now I have a background in psychology and I've gone through all that type of stuff, but I, I like, I, you need to have a therapist because what we are going to do is different. Okay. So we do help you understand, for instance, these pieces about your instinct and how you interact. And then okay. when it comes to energies and spiritual destinies and pathways, I'm going to help you understand that. And where there are areas of vulnerability, I'm going to help you figure out how do you work through these areas of, of vulnerability in a relationship? Because most of the time when people are coming, they want to stay together, right? You want to stay with somebody. You want to figure out, well, what do I do to make this work? Now, you have to realize that, uh-oh, Kim disappeared. <laughs> you can keep talking. You can so keep talking. you have to realize, sure. You have to realize that when people come, they're figuring out, how do I make this work? And a lot of times the first questions are, how do I change him or how do I change her? The only person you can work on is yourself. And so you have to deeply understand who you are and then when you bring in understanding who the other person is, you start understanding the why and then be able to figure out what do we do to make this work? How do I have to understand? Who do I have to be? How do I be the real me to make this go the way I want it to go? And when you let it be, the, yourself be the real you, this is how you get relationships to work. So when I understand my husband's Colby, I understand how he operates. When I understand what his design means, then even my verbalization, even how I ask questions or how I speak or the words that I use are going to be different based on what works for him and what doesn't work for him. There are things that will trigger him because of his instinct or his spiritual type. And there are things that will uplift him for the same reasons. And why not use what's going to uplift because that's what you want. You want to figure out how to stay. Now, some people will decide after they go through this that this is not going to work. But my, my job when somebody works with me is for them to figure out what is right for me. Who am I and what do I want? And then how do I make the right decision for me 
and that's the ultimate decision for you know both people in the comp in the in the couple. And sometimes that stay together, but sometimes it's not stay together. I've had people that after they learn all this information are like, I understand exactly why it didn't work. And I think it really is the right thing for me to move on. It's the it's compassion for me to move on because it's best for him to go through his life and me not be upset at him and me to go live and be who I am. I do apologize. My uh, battery died. Ah, okay. So, um, Dr. Veronica, what I'm hearing so far when you're discussing things is a lot of terms that you use that I will dare to say that lay persons don't know. I, and I would dare to say that a lot of people use the word compatibility. Like they believe that um, when they're courting each other and you know, on the path, Kim, you have to stop doing whatever you're doing because it's moving on. Um, when they're courting each other, they try to see how they work together. Um, and I, I wanted to know, what do you think about that? Like compatibility, where does that fall under your umbrella of thought about relationships? Because I feel like if my partner and I came to see you, there's a lot that you would have to tell us about these different terms. And then we would have to reinvestigate ourselves again to find out Absolutely. if we truly need to be together but I would say most I would like to say most folks and when I say that I'm just like kind of picking from my batch of friends um, when they find somebody they try to see if they're a match not necessarily using the terminology that you use okay so let's talk about compatibility the reason that I explain the three eyes is because most people are picking on that feeling of that person's right and then looking for evidence to verify what they already think or what they already feel, that feeling that goes along with it. So when you see somebody likes them, they're like, oh, she looks good. He looks good. Now, let me go about the relationship to see yes or no, okay? There's not really, and this is how we're all kind of taught to do it. We're not taught to do it pretty much any other way because this is what's modeled to us. And that's part of the imprinting. So a lot of us, especially that are more educated, are gonna look at people's resumes, okay? To decide whether they're the right person or not. They went through the right, they have a good family, they went to the right school, you know, they, they, they dress a certain way. They have all the paper that's gonna make you feel good. And that's the intellectual cognitive brain reasoning of why the relationship should go forward. But before that even happens, there's this, uh, this, this, this unsaid thing that's happening of attraction. And I'm talking about where does that attraction come from so that you understand how you're picking. I know you know some people that say, I keep picking the same woman or keep picking the same man. They're all seem to like. Or I mean, if you look at, if you met my husband 
I mean, I know that my, the reason I'm attracted to his energy is because he has energy like my father. Now I'm highly, highly, highly from a spiritual standpoint, what some people would call bless, although you, I believe you choose who you come into life with and who your parents are and everything like that. Very different way of thinking. But I, I know that he that the, what attracts me to him is that familiar energy, which is imprinted into me from pretty much the moment of conception. Right now, on top of it, if you look at us from a spiritual standpoint, you will realize that we are a 9-0 couple. So we do energetically meet each other indeed. So it feels good. So when you walk in the room with someone, there's these bonds that are being formed. I mean, I'll walk in the room and let's, let's not even just talk about romantic relationship, but I might walk into the room and I've never met you or I've never met Kim. And I'm like, I'm going to talk to Kim. Why? Because energetically, we're meeting each other's needs in a certain way. And so we're going to decide that we're interesting to each other for some reason. Now, notice I am not saying anything that is sexual at all. Okay. I'm talking about energetic needs being met. And that happens in all of our relationships, whether it be a professional relationship or a familial relationship. It could be, you know, a parent, a child. Um, you know, other relatives, there are going to be people who energetically you like being around and it feels good, or you're familiar with their energy. And this is how people who have been born into environments that they don't work really well and they keep getting, let's call it dysfunction, but they're energetically comfortable with it. And the things that are, let's call it good for them, feels foreign to them. So they're going to think that that's bad for them. I don't know if you probably can come to some mind of somebody who keeps picking somebody who's dysfunctional. How do they do that so easily? It's because of these invisible explanations that are imprinted in the brain. This imprinting, this is something that's been studied. So Kim, go look up imprinting so you can study that. Yeah, I know <laughs> she's like sitting here fact on and it's good. And, uh, you know, people laugh when I, when I'm, when I'm saying this because, um, it's about like being able to understand people. These things are so predictable that I could know somebody's instincts and say, put you guys together and actually tell how you will react and then put you together to do whatever type of activity and the audience will watch what plays out because they'll be like, they'll laugh because they'll be like, how does she know that this is how this person will react or that person will re react in a certain scenario? This is how these things are. Okay, well, Dr. A, do you have any more questions to ask Dr. Veronica? Uh, no, I don't. We want to make sure that anyone who's interested in retaining your services can get in touch with you. And how would they do that? <laughs> Thank you so much, Kim. She's just like, we're erasing this episode because there's not enough data about this. But absolutely not. We're actually gonna we're, we're gonna have you back if you if you would be so kind as to come back and talk <laughs> more about it. No, uh, let me just say that um, I, I'm, jo I'm I'm joking with you because I know you have so many questions in your head. I do, um, and so we have. I've done the Colby on you. I'm going to share that with you. And for people who want to know about this and you have one, what will come and you will love this is there will be an 18 page report and links to audios. So you're going to love the information that you're going to get 
from getting your Colby. And included in that information will be how do you actually use the information that you got? Okay. So that should give you, you that, that should start your and inform your um, data finding and research. And it's always more interesting when you are working with yourself. So drveronica.com is where you can find me. Let me just say one thing about relationships. Um, from working with people, I developed a relationship quiz. What's your number one relationship mistake? It takes about five minutes to take, and it will come up with a persona of you. Um, and thus far, I have 37,000 respondents. So if you want to say, how can you give me data about what you know about people? When I was building the quiz, I built it in a way because now I am a doctor, so I do like data and science. So I built it to get demographics. What I thought, here's how people are being. Here's what I've noticed. Here's what I saw in my coaching. One, two, three, four, five. And I get people to answer those questions and people break down into these five ways. And they'll say to me, I thought you were crazy, but you were just right on. How, how do you know? <laughs> okay. Um, and so I know even more now because of thousands of people who have taken the quiz. And so that is on my website where you get a pop up and you take it five minutes and you'll come back with your type. This starts with all self-discovery and reflection. So drveronica.com, drveronica.com where you find me. Okay, great. Thank you so much for coming. And we look forward to having you back again soon. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it, Kim. And you will be getting some more information to explore. Sounds good. Thank you. And Dr. Ray, if you want to have this done also, you're welcome to it if I have your email. Okay. All right. Appreciate that. Thank you, guys. All right. Bye-bye. Yes, yeah, sorry about that. My uh my computer died on me for some reason. I thought it was charging, but it wasn't. Um, do you want me to log off and log back on from my laptop? If you can. Okay, I'll be right back. What are we? What are we going to next? We're going back to what's going on. Okay. Black on black, black, yeah, hey, okay, black, black. Okay. All right, let's give this a try, hopefully. And let us move on. All right, so should restaurants eliminate the QR code menus? Uh, let's hear from you first. Yeah, this is interesting because the QR code menu, I think, uh, became popular during the pandemic when we were all trying to keep ourselves safe and and to prevent the spread of COVID from one another, you know, from one person to another person. 
And so, you know, the way this works is you go into a restaurant and instead of being handed a menu, you can use your phone, the camera on your phone to scan this QR code and it would bring up the menu. And now since uh, the public health emergency has been officially declared uh, to be over, I think the use of this QR code menu has declined. And I can kind of see why. I mean, I understand the usefulness of it, especially from a public health standpoint. And also it is helpful because you sort of, you save from having to print menus. So you save a few trees and you don't have to print these menus. But on the flip side of that, I I don't like when I go out to eat and people are on their phones because this is the one time where you're supposed to try to connect with the people, you know, with whom you are having dinner or lunch. And, you know, you kind of want to be able to unplug and put your phone down and just be face to face with the person that you're with. And also, I kind of like the idea of having a menu in my hand to peruse. And, you know, while I'm having lunch or dinner, sometimes I take a peek to see what I might be having for dessert. Or if I want to have a cocktail, you want to have something to refer to quickly. So it's nice to have that menu handy, in my opinion. So yeah, I mean, I I can understand why the use of this is declining. And I'm kind of glad it's declining. What do you think? Well, this... uh pros and cons to it so um yeah a lot of people in the article i read in the new york times they say um it's impersonal um after they look at it on their phone they don't want to re-scroll so it might prevent them from ordering desserts or wine um also they said they rather talk to a waiter um, because there's some QR codes where you can actually order from the QR code. And pay, right? Right, and pay. Um, mm-hmm. That's convenient. Waiter, waiters are saying that usually when people have paper menus, they can tell when the customer is ready because they'll put the menu down. With, oh, yeah. You know, cell phones and everything, people still may have their phones up looking at other things and you won't know when they're ready to order. Oh, that's a good point. I didn't think about that. The positive was being able to order and pay. Um, Another one was picture menus. If you have a language barrier, um, so it helps with that. There are QR codes at the end of the check, at the end of the check. So even if you're using the paper menu, when you get the check, you can go and use a QR code to pay and leave a tip and you can be out. One of my pet peeves for being at a restaurant, paper or QR code, is when I get the check and it takes forever for the waiter to come back. Like, you know, give him time to give me a big tip, I guess they might be thinking. Like, I already know what I'm tipping you. You know, if you're extra nice to me or just pleasant conversation, I'm going to throw some extra money on there. If not, I'm going to tip you like 22 to 24%. And that's that. Sometimes I will wait like 10 to 15 minutes. And that is a pet peeve of mine. Um, as far as I feel with the cure, I think you should have the option 
Um, if I'm looking at the menu on my phone, when I'm done with my selection, I put my phone down. Uh, Felicia and I, well, let me speak for myself. I rarely have my phone out. You know, if I do, somebody texts me, I had to get back to them right away. Other than that, my phone is in my pocket when I'm out eating because I'm serious about my food. <laughs> thinking about anything else with that. Uh, so that's my right. So if you pay, if you pay online, how do they know that you've paid? Like if you decide that you want to, instead of, you know, you just want to use the QR code to order and pay. And then, so do you pay before they bring the food out? Well, there's different options. One, I just said that some people use the QR code on the check. So when they give you the check, at the end of the check, there's a QR code. So you just go in there and pay and leave a tip. But how do they know? They can uh, see. They can yeah, see I'm, I'm sure they, you know, I don't know if they put a booth number on it or they have like, you know, most restaurants have table numbers. I like see them at table 17. And so, because I can imagine people who want to dine and dash, they can say, oh, no, we're just going to pay with the QR code. And then the waiter leaves and then they just hightail it out of there. I mean, they can do that anyway. True. The QR code or not. That's um, true. So usually upstanding restaurants. Um, I, I don't see the difficulties with it. I, I understand the impersonal uh, trait behind it. So. Yeah, because I'm one person. I always ask the same question, especially if I go to a new restaurant. I want to talk to the waiter and find out what is the most popular item on the menu. Because to me, if it's a place I've never been to, I know that that popular item is more than likely very good because people keep ordering it and it's the most popular. So if it's something that I eat, I, I usually will order the most popular item in a new place. My complaint about a paper menu might, um, not a paper menu, um, the QR code uh, juxtaposed to the paper menu is just the, the size. Your phone is yay big. Um, and if you get a menu, like you know how large the menus come, it's easier for you to see. It's quicker for you to go through the items where with the phone, you know, you probably have to have more pages and go through it. But it's the same information. I think a QR code is also good if you're waiting to be seated. Like every restaurant you go to is not reservations. Oh, that's so, a good point. So if you're waiting to be seated, instead of handing out all these extra menus, you can take look at the QR code while you're waiting. And then when you get to the table, you get a paper menu. You know um, I understand you both. I understand both, but I, I would just use both. You know, I would have paper menus, but I also would have a QR code um, option. That's what I would do. Yeah, that's probably that's probably the most convenient thing for restaurants to do to just give people the option. Yeah. Yeah. We solved your problem, restaurant in industry. Keep both. <laughs> Let us move on. All right, even though we're not doing I was about to say, that, we are not doing this or that. What we're not we doing, doing this or that, but it's okay. You just wanted to hear that? Uh, not really. <laughs> Push the wrong button. 
the rise <laughs> of the American debt ceiling. What does this mean? You want to start us off with that? Well, we're at that time of year when Congress has to decide whether to raise the debt ceiling so that America can pay its bills. So every so often, Congress has to vote on whether to raise the debt ceiling or suspend it. And apparently, America owes $31.4 trillion in bills that they have to pay. And um, as a federal employee, I have uh, dealt with this issue for almost 30 years. Um, and during my federal government uh, career, I have probably been through about three government shutdowns. And that is where, because Congress can't come to an agreement and, um, and vote on raising the debt ceiling, they just shut everything down. And it affects people like me who work for the federal government. I will not get paid, even though we have in the past gotten paid retroactively after everything is over and they come to an agreement, we will get back pay. But that does not help the millions of Americans who can't afford that. Um, now, because I've been through this more than once, I have tried to prepare and save up six months of expenses so that if the government does shut down, I will be able to pay my bills. But 42% of Americans have less than $1,000 in savings. And we all know that your monthly expenses can come up to more than $1,000. So a lot of people will be in a very tight spot if the government does not come to an agreement and agree to raise the, the debt ceiling so that all of these bills can be paid, including federal government employees' salaries. Um, but it also will affect um, the military, people who receive Social Security, Medicare. Um, uh, so, you know, uh, child support payments. I mean, whatever it has to, the government is responsible for doing will 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 be uh in jeopardy so um again i hope i feel like every time this issue comes around the american citizens are being used as pawns in this political game here and we're the ones who if there's a sh government shutdown we're the ones who are going to be left holding the bag so i hope they get it together do their jobs and resolve this issue, raise the debt as they've done under every Republican president, every Democratic president, stop playing games and come to an agreement so that we can keep moving forward. What do you think? Well, over the weekend, uh, McCarthy and Biden had come to uh, an agreement. Um, neither side is going to be particularly happy or very upset there were some compromises made and I think this will last until uh, January, 2025, if I'm correct. So hopefully everybody agrees and votes on it. Well, yeah, they have to vote upon it. Um, coming up this week, I think Thursday. Is it? Um, yeah. Yeah. So we'll see, we'll cross our fingers and we'll make sure everything is correct. You explained everything. Great. So we are going to 
and let us move on. All right. So our second plug of the week is our brand of the week. And I think my partner and I both use this brand, this company called Tiffany. Everybody knows Tiffany. Tiffany's because of the little blue box that they have um, with the white ribbon. And around Christmas, they add a red ribbon. And I think they're adding a pink ribbon around Cancer Awareness Month. Um, They may have started to do that. But, yes, Tiffany is a go-to gentleman if you need to get your uh, significant other or woman you need to get your significant other uh, a nice gift um, that's not that expensive or it can be very expensive. Um, I give that up to Tiffany. They have um, a range. Yes. For people. Yeah. Um, that you can go in. I know women love the little blue bag and the blue box is just, um, they like to twirl it around their fingers when they go shopping. Although I do encourage people to be careful because People can snatch your little blue bag and be off on and running. <laughs> I have gotten several uh, gifts, um, specifically the sterling silver um, jewelry that they have. My husband has bought me the heart toggle necklace, the heart toggle bracelet, the beaded um, silver necklace and the beaded silver bracelet. I love those items. They're classic Tiffany and um, they go with everything. So what what's the name of the heart? Uh, what's that lady's name? They had uh, Elsa Peretti. Is that her name? Oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So back in the day when I was on the dating scene, I'm talking about uh, mid '90s, early. Well, yeah, mid '90s. Uh, I had a good friend of mine that worked in Tiffany's, and she had a discount. So I think the 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 heart would be like $52. I wind up getting it for like $17. Oh, you got and the hookah. I bought like three of them and give it to, you know, uh, people I were dating. They, they would think it was so thoughtful. I mean, it was thoughtful, but, you know. You gave all your women the same gift? You uh-huh. didn't try to mix it up? They didn't know each other. Well, I mixed it up a little bit, but you can <laughs> tell on the jewelry. It was pretty much the same thing but it wasn't it was the thought that count you know yeah because you can't go wrong with the blue tiffany bag or right now I, I was a player on the budget actually so yeah well you did that so yeah that worked out for me so I, i've been but there's other things that you can purchase besides jewelry like family members i, I bought plates for vase you know different things like that that will come in a big box and they would be like oh and they they'd take it out but they those would run like $70 or $80 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And you would get it and, you know, flowers would go into it or whatever. Uh, I brought a um, cake dish uh, for a family member um, and it okay. came in a big blue box. And, you know, when they unravel it, they see the big blue box and it came in a big bag. And then it's just, you know, so, yeah, Tiffany is... Um, definitely uh something that um i have used do we both have the cologne as well 
Yeah, we did have the cologne. Okay. Uh, the cologne was a gift. Well, you had the perfume. I had the cologne. Mm -hmm. It was a gift. So. And let us move on. We have a question. It's a question. Address the question. This is a question. So, what's the question? Answer the question. All right, so the question of the week, what can one catch that is not thrown? What can one catch that is not thrown? If you first one that has the correct answer and they email it to potlickershow at gmail.com, we'll get a prize. I think I know the answer. Yeah, last week the question was, and I'll have my partner answer this one. If A is the father of B, but B is not the son of A, how is that possible? What's the answer to that one, Barbara? Because B is the daughter of A. All right. There we have it. Right. Uh -huh. <laughs> and let us move on. Like this. Keep the keep on. Hey. Right. So in honor of Memorial Day weekend, today we want to highlight the Harlem Hellfighters. The Harlem Hellfighters were a majority black World War One regiment originally formed as the 15th New York National Guard Regiment. In 1918, they were assigned to serve with the French army. Rather than with their white countrymen who refused to serve with black soldiers, they spent 191 days in combat, longer than any other American unit in the war, and 1,300 of them died in battle. These African-American troops fought a war for a country that refused them basic rights, and their bravery stood as a rebuke to racism, a moral claim to first-class citizenship. The extraordinary courage of the Harlem Hellfighters earned them fame in Europe and America as newspapers recounted their remarkable feats. The Harlem Hellfighters are little-known Black history fact. All right. And let us move on. I like, I like, I like it. 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 I like, I like, I like it.
so our last podcast i mean our last plug is our podcast it's clever girls know um it is a uh, financial podcast um it's it's targeted to black women but as a, a black man i listen to it um what's i guess good about this podcast um our podcast is a little lengthy it's like an hour and 40 minutes sometimes there's like 13 to 20 minutes um they give some advice they have q a's on um different things that you can do saving money um how not to eat out much you know anything that has to deal with uh financial investment and saving money they um deal with so clever girls know is the podcast Let us move on. Oh, hell no. Oh, hell no. Okay, so one of our favorite segments is, oh, hell no. This goes out to a Jamaican lady. It didn't say her name um, that I saw, um, but it's a Jamaican lady who owns a vacation property who says no to black Americans She's basically saying that most black Americans that come to her rental property don't know how to act, feel like they're entitled. Um, so, and she says that she's not saying all black Americans, but she's only had two uh, black American couples who acted with any sense of decency. Um, the other ones have been like snobbish. So she kind of refuses to rent to them. So to her, we say, oh, hell no. Okay. You have anything on that? Well, the name of her company is Rustic Mountain Living Rental Company. And on TikTok, she's <clears throat> she's under the Barefoot Mountain Lady. Barefoot Mountain Lady. Yeah, I did. Yeah. That. I mean, mm, to criticize black people in America and say we're just in, entitled because we're used to getting free stuff in America. So we want to come to Jamaica and get free stuff. Like what? That's crazy. Yeah. I, I wonder how her vacation property is. Is it enough? You know? And so maybe they're expecting more, but not receiving more. And that's upsetting her a little bit. Well, I actually went to look at it and it's, Exactly what it says. It's very rustic. It's out in the middle of, you know, it's in a rural area. Um, and it kind of looks like a like a little cottage and it's very oh, it's modest. Too many amenities, huh? Right. And so it's if you rent her cottage, which you can get for a whole month for like nine hundred dollars. So that kind of gives you a clue as to what you are getting. getting. Yeah. And so it's supposed to be very, you know, very rusty. And one and with very... nature. Right. Yeah. And so you're you you shouldn't be expecting luxury when you go there. Yeah. Um, and so that's like when people dine at like uh non-expensive restaurants and be acting like they had the Waldorf. Right. I can't stand that. <laughs> Like, excuse me, my steak is not medium. It's yeah. medium well. <laughs> They're like, okay. <laughs> exactly. So you have to kind of manage your expectations. Yeah. Um, that's one thing. But 
I mean, she's definitely wrong for the way she talked, you know, negatively about uh, a whole group of people based on her limited experience with a few travelers. Get yourself together. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and let us move on. Give it up, give it up, give it up, yo. All right, we want to give it up to one of our former guests of the show, Ms. Ryan Jackson, who achieved the academic status of summa cum laude at Bishop McNamara High School, and that is in the state of Maryland. So we want to give a round of applause <laughs> to Ms. Uh, Ryan Jackson. Um, I think she's our second high school guest, right? Yes. So for those who may not know, summa cum laude uh, translates into with highest distinction. Mm -hmm. And those are uh, reserved for students who have achieved a grade point average of 3.9 and above. So, yeah. So, yes, Miss Ryan Jackson. Uh, have has achieved those honors and we don't have the pictures but we want to send out a rip to tina turner and jim brown and we will discuss more about them probably on our next podcast and with yeah. that being said we like to wrap up our show first as always we our three uh, three plugs was Murano, Tiffany's, and Clever Girls Know for the podcast. The words of wisdom came from our James Baldwin. To be a Negro in this country and to be relatively conscious is to be in a rage almost all the time. Uh, what's going on today was John Morant, the welfare check. Uh, Target pulled some LBGTQ merchandise from the stores um, ahead of June Pride Month. The QR code menu should restaurants eliminate it. The debt ceiling and what's going to happen with the United States. The weekly question was, what can one cash that is not thrown? Remember, uh, email that to potlickershow at gmail.com. Um, our weekly, oh, no, sorry. Dr. Veronica Anderson, the relationship guru, was a part of our topic talk. The little-known black history fact was the Harlem Hellfighters. And I all hell know was Jamaica owner of a vacation rental property who says no more black American guests. And we gave it up to a former guest of the show, Ms. Ryan Jackson, who celebrate, who is celebrated for reaching the summa cum laude honors at Bishop McNamara High School. With that being said, Thank you, everybody, for taking time out of your busy schedule to hang out with us. And as always, in parting, we wish you love, peace, and soul. And so, y'all, we'll see y'all next week. <laughs>